And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my good friend, Ian Hayworth. Always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, and we covered a lot. We uh, well, we started the show with uh, talking about the frustrations of fantasy football, of course. Typical for a, for a Monday show. Um, we talked about the latest in uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. We talked about some devastating poll numbers uh, that came out. Uh, over the weekend, uh, showing Democrats they're they're in a rough they're in a rough spot right now. Um, love to see it. And we talked about how Republican candidates making everything about Donald Trump could, could really hurt him in the, the midterms next year. Uh, Cover a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get to Ian, uh, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreoncom slash No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my brother Ian Hayworth. Ian, how you been, man? Doing well. I um, I'm struggling a little bit from fantasy football regret. I benched Dak Prescott this weekend because uh, Aaron Rodgers came back. Thought he was going to have a hell of a game. It was one of the lowest scoring game I've ever seen. And then Dak Prescott comes out and I think 26, 27 points. So feeling a little, little filled with regret, but otherwise good. Yeah, man, fantasy football. This is this is your first year in our fantasy football league, and it's crazy competitive. Like all most of most of the teams are either five and four or four and five right now, and it's like anybody can stressful. Win. It's stressful, man. And like I have a really good team. I had a great draft, and like ESPN ranks my team as like the top team in the league most weeks. But it's it's just man, every game comes down to the wire. Like and I've made some horrible decisions too. Like I traded like forget. I know I think I think I traded. Jeremy Frankel, but I traded like two starting caliber players for Miles Gaskin preseason. <laughs> it's got a really, I had a good feeling about Miles Gaskin. And then like the Dolphins are like the worst team in the league and he's terrible. And it's like, oh man. And yesterday, I mean, the Steelers game yesterday, I don't know if you caught any of it, but it was legitimately the worst game I've ever watched. Big Ben had the Rona, so he was out. And then TJ Water, best player, <laughs> went down with a knee injury. And the Steelers tied the Detroit Lions. It's just. It was bad, man. It was just sad. It was a sad time, three hours watching that game. It was just a complete waste of time. The Detroit Lions and the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be a sports metaphor for years to come. Just bad times. Man, brutal stuff. And then you bench Dak. Happens, man. It happens. Uh, I mean, you are hoarding. I, I, I think I tried to trade for Dak or Aaron. I think it was like... Whatever quarterback you want the least, I was like, I, I offered you like an arm and a leg for one of them like a few months ago, and you said no. You're just hoarding two great quarterbacks on your roster. It's unfair. I mean, it's just the uh, the Jewish hoarding coming through, I guess, <laughs> just with fantasy football instead of gold this time. But I, I can't control the weather, so I'm I'm losing. So the hoarding has not been my friend. I'm Maybe yes. next year I'll learn from this. 
See, but the thing is, and that's why like most people only have one good quarterback because you're faced with this ridiculous decision every week. Like if you only had Dak or Aaron, it would just be like, okay, yeah, I cool. Have I, have a, to worry about. I have a great quarterback. I will just play him and not worry about it every week. But you're gonna you're tying yourself in a Nazian, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to predict the future, <laughs> make the right call. You just you never know. Oh, then you speak- can play quarterback as a flex. Dude, speaking of who wrote it, it was I don't know if it was Al Jazeera or what. But speaking of uh, Jewish conspiracy theories, did you see the one about how uh, the Jews destroyed all the fertilizer on Earth or whatever, and that's why there's food shortages? Do you see this? I oh, I didn't see that one, but that sounds like a like a classic one of starving ourselves out just to starve the world out. Because, you know, <laughs> it's all about the game. It was so much more bizarre than. Like it was, it was on par with like the weather machine thing. <laughs> the weather machine one is the best one. It's just so funny that Jews historically have either lived in horrendously hot or cold places, but yeah, we we control the weather. Good one. All right, so I don't know who this guy is, but he he's a blue check on Twitter, and he said that all over the world, the Zionists have now created a fertilizer shortage. It's go, it's directly going to affect the crops all over the world and push food prices beyond the reach of lower classes, all of the orchestrated agenda of creating a global famine and food genocide. Wow. Yeah. That guy hates Jews. Yeah, man. I don't even know how... (laughs) Man, I don't even know how you get from point A to point B, but... I'm sure Marjorie Taylor Greene will weigh in at some point, and we'll get some some insight. Yeah, only the best and brightest to weigh in on such issues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I haven't talked about it much on the podcast yet because I hadn't had a ton of time to dive into it. But let's start just kind of with where we're at with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I'm starting mm-hmm. to view this trial as I don't think it has anything to do with Kyle Rittenhouse, man. I think this is just nope. the Second Amendment and the right to self-defense generally on trial. I'm starting to view this as just a preview of things to come in this country. Like if if the Democrats and the press can get this guy convicted when he clearly did nothing wrong, then, I don't know, man. It's all over. Like The ju- justice is dead. I mean, th- this should never have been brought to trial. The the prosecution is an embarrassment. I mean, they have mm-hmm. absolutely nothing on this guy. But, I mean, the, the left and the, and the press are pushing a narrative, and we'll see how powerful their propaganda still is. Well, I think, yeah, let's, let's start the fact that this should never have been brought to trial. We have this entire thing on videotape where you can see him being chased down, physically attacked by people. During the prosecution... Their own witness said that he only got Rittenhouse only shot the guy once he pulled out a gun on him. There is no case here. But as you said, this really isn't about Rittenhouse. It hasn't been about Rittenhouse for a long time. It's about what Rittenhouse represents for a lot of people, which is just a white guy with a gun. And we know that the left hate white guys with guns. And so they're going to try and make an example of him by kind of doing what they did with the Derek Chauvin case of just making him the face of everything they hate about some form of ideology or political group. And so what Rittenhouse did or didn't do is immaterial because it's all about how evil guns are. And you can see that with the questions he's facing. It's like, oh, why were you scared when he had a handgun and you had a a rifle? These are moronic questions, but it really shows the kind of spin they're trying to put on it, which is there's no need to have a rifle in a world where people have handguns. That's really the ideology they're pushing. And it's, it's scary stuff. The justice system is broken we've known it's been broken for a long time 
And it's, uh, I mean, in this case, Carl Rittenhouse is getting a lot of media attention, and so it's unlikely it'll go against him. But there are a ton of people of all races and all backgrounds who don't get this kind of attention, and similar things are happening, and I think it's a scary time for all of us. Yeah, I mean, and the judge is getting death threats, him and his family getting death threats. The Democrats are trying to dox members of the jury. I mean, it's real ugly stuff. I mean, they'll stop at nothing to try to imprison an innocent man here. I mean, it is... It is really incredible stuff. And it's the the, the left, they did, the, the entire narrative is that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist for some reason. I don't even know how, I mean, how did this narrative even get off the ground? I mean, the, the three guys he shot were white. Mm-hmm. One of them was a, a, a pedophile. He would like sodomized a bunch of young boys um, and had, had a, a criminal record and everything. And, you know, obviously the, the guy that survived was pointing a gun at, Kyle Rittenhouse the entire time. And and like I said, they're all white. I mean, every single person involved was white. I don't even know how race became a factor here. It's almost like that's their, their only play. That's the only line mm-hmm. they have. Without that, they have nothing. Well, it's why they're not focusing on the people who were shot. Like, we very rarely see their faces, and we very rarely really hear them talked about. It's all about just Kyle Rittenhouse. He's a white guy with a gun because it's the image of the scary white vigilante. They're talking about him as a vigilante. Like they're blurring the lines between self-defense and vigilantism, which is just insane because they are completely different things. If you are claiming that self-defense is being a vigilante, then you're basically making the argument that you are not allowed to defend yourself, which is antithetical to fundamental American values. That's what makes the United States so unique in one of many ways it's unique is that the idea that you are in control of your own defense and you have the right to defend yourself. That's what's under attack right now because... If they get their way, the very notion that you can defend yourself against violence will go away and you will be entirely beholden to the government of your own safety. And if anything, the last couple of years has shown us is that doesn't end well. Yeah, I mean, I won't, but (laughs) (laughs) I I see your point, but uh, they'll never they'll never do that to me, brother. I can guarantee you that. The thing is, like, and I I don't like how conservatives and people on the right will kind of they don't they don't buy in wholesale to the left wing narrative, but like. They'll even, you know, the, the line is like, oh, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse had the right to defend himself with his rifle, but, ah, you know, he never should have been there. And it was kind of a stupid decision for him to show up. Why? I mean, like, why? why? I mean, it seems to me if the cops are told to stand down and let violent communists burn cities to the ground, then then vigilantism is perfectly acceptable in that scenario, is it not? Well, I've I've been one of the people who kind of thinks he shouldn't have been there, but really from the position of just two things can be true at once, where you can have arguments over whether or not he should have been there, but it's immaterial to the case in the same way, in many ways, like the, the identities of the people he shot are immaterial. It doesn't matter whether they were saints or devils. The fact is they were trying to hurt him. And so he was perfectly at liberty to use force and self-defense. That's really the only relevant factors here. And I think the obsession with either trying to paint him as a villain because of his color or the fact he had a certain type of scary gun or trying to ignore the factors of the case. It's just indicative of the broader problem, which is society doesn't care about information. It doesn't care about facts. All it cares about is really a racially based narrative, which is we should be so beyond that now. The fact that racism is being kept alive primarily by the left just shows how low they've they've gone in their desperation to push leftism because race is, I think, the least important factor in society. But if you were to look at it, say, from someone outside the society looking in, it's like race is the most important thing. 
And cases like this keep race alive because the only reason we're hearing about it is because he is white. That's the only reason. Yeah, but I mean, the, the cops, the cops abandoned Kenosha, Wisconsin. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, last summer, the summer of 2020, I mean, we learned that cops are not going to help us. They're not going to protect their cities. They're not going to defend innocent people. I mean, shouldn't we be ready to take up arms and defend our neighborhoods? I mean, it seems, Oh, it, you know, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, you could argue, that, oh, he's 17. Maybe it should have been, oh, fine. Well, where were the men? Where were the 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds with AR-15s then? Why did this little kid have to? I mean, if anything, it's an indictment on the cops and an indictment on the other grown men living in Kenosha that this kid was out oh, there by it's... himself. You know what I mean? Where was, where it's... were, where were the others? Like, where were all the other men? Like, where were his backup? You know what I mean? It should have all fallen on this little kid's shoulders. Absolutely, I think it was also an indictment of the the political arm of law enforcement because I think there's a ton of police officers I know in various cities who were told to stand down, and they certainly didn't want to, and a lot of them did what they could to not. Really, it's the political wing of a lot of areas of law enforcement in the same way that the political wing of the military is flushing the military down the toilet. It's not the people on the ground. It's the people in the offices behind the desks making a lot of these decisions really separate from their role, which is to keep people safe. It's all to push a political narrative. And the way a lot of police uh, departments step back and let things happen in various cities, the vigilantism is the only resort. And whether or not you think that's good or bad. When it comes down to it, people should protect their own property and people will protect their own property when it's quite clear that the government put in place to protect them isn't going to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's definitely right. Uh, I mean, look, obviously Rittenhouse better walk here. I mean, it would be a, a disturbing time for the country if he's convicted of any anything, literally any of these Oh, charges. a travesty of justice. Absolute travesty of justice. And worse. Worse, because this isn't because this is such a symbolic trial. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. think this trial has anything to do with Kyle Rittenhouse. So I think it it would be much worse than an innocent man being punished if it goes the other way. But if he is, if he is, if he does walk, which I, I think is extraordinarily likely at this point, um, he better get paid, man. Look, <laughs> if the what was the Covington <laughs> Catholic kid's name? The what was that kid's name from a couple years ago? Oh. Uh, Sam, Nick, Nick Salmon. Salmon. If Nick Sandman got seven figures, Kyle Rittenhouse, I mean, he better get some yacht money, you know, buy a helicopter for no reason kind of money. I mean, like he better sue the pants <laughs> off of every corporate media outlet and every Democratic politician, including the president of the United States, who slandered him on Twitter or whoever mm-hmm. operated Joe Biden's Twitter account did. Um, I mean, hundreds, hundreds of elected Democrats slandered this guy online and, and and then of course every corporate media outlet he better sue each and every single one of them he better win and he better be set for life by all the air 15s you want kid well that's the thing is i think that's that's a weapon still in our arsenal that we as conservatives underuse is yes there's freedom of speech blah 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 but when you're slandering someone with something that's demonstrably false and destroying their character and also let's not forget affecting law and order here because a lot of these cases are really driven by the media of people putting false facts out there, completely fake narratives, and often influencing a jury in these cases. There has to be accountability for these kind of things. And I think every single person from now on who is impacted by this, because Carl Rittenhouse will not be the last person. No. They need to be financially ruining every single person who came after them. Yeah. Because then it might make them think, oh, maybe I should be a little bit more careful with my words. If yeah. every single media outlet 
got sued for hundreds of millions of dollars every single time they did something like this, maybe they wouldn't do it quite so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bankrupt every single one of them. I mean, enough is enough. So this weekend, a poll um, from ABC and The Washington Post came out. Uh, that was excellent news for Republicans. It shows Joe Biden underwater by 19 points, 38 approved, 57 <laughs> disapproved. And I mean, with that that's huge. I mean, negative 19 is ridiculous. But um, the, the real eye-opening point in this poll, in this ABC poll, is that he had Republicans plus 10 in the generic congressional ballot, which is the largest lead the GOP has ever had in the generic congressional ballot ever. I mean, this it's never, never had a 10-point lead. I think the, the the closest to that would be 2014. I think they had like a seven-point lead, something like that. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> brutal numbers for the Democrats. Obviously, I wish the midterms were today, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot, of, a lot of time between now and then, but absolutely brutal numbers for the Democrats. Absolutely, but I'm amazed they're not lower because— we, yeah. What we're looking at right now is an unbelievably incompetent administration who are doing everything they can to go in the opposite direction they promised. And so I'm amazed 38 percent people still approve of what Biden's doing. Yeah. I mean, first, let's look at Afghanistan. that He set fire to a country that was relatively under control and in the space of a couple of weeks has handed it back to the Taliban. And now little girls are being sold into sex slavery. Like, thank you, Joe Biden. So domestic there's, there's policy. Still thousands, there's still thousands of citizens and green card holders being held hostage in Afghanistan right now. Well, they forgot about green card holders. If you noticed uh, when they were coming to the end of the withdrawal, they suddenly start stopped talking about green card holders because yeah. they have no idea how many people are there because they haven't really thought to look. So international policy wise, it's an absolute joke. And then domestically, they've set fire to the economy. And we're on the edge of, I think, what's going to be a very, very difficult time for a lot of people because they are doing nothing to address this. They're pouring more and more money onto the flames and then acting with shock when the flames get bigger. And, and so that's the fact why that that, I want to dive into why I, I want to dive into why the Democrats are floundering. And it does. I, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't think Americans care too much about Afghanistan, which is horrible. But. um, I, They don't view inflation and Americans suffering as a problem. They only view mm-hmm. it through the lens of a propagandist, right? <laughs> like they, they don't view anything as a real world problem because they're these rich elites that live on the coast. They're not affected by inflation. I mean, they're all millionaires, right? They don't, they don't, mm-hmm. they, they, they have people go to the grocery store for them. They don't go grocery shopping. They have people fill up their car with gas for them. They don't, they don't pump their own gas and they don't, they're, they just view it you're all poor because of inflation. Okay, we'll call our friends in the corporate media to spin it. They view everything as a problem to spin away, not actually solve. You know, Americans are being held hostage in Afghanistan. Call the press. Have them pivot away from Afghanistan. I mean, look at what mm-hmm. the White House chief of staff does all day. All Ron Klain does is retweet propaganda pieces from Jen Rubin. Okay, like they don't care about the American people. And I mean, when gas is five bucks a gallon and food prices have doubled in the last six months. People won't believe the lies anymore. You know, like Democrat, a lot of Democratic mm-hmm. voters will. A lot of Democratic voters are entirely susceptible to propaganda. They're blue pilled. They're non-player characters at this point. I understand that. But when when gas is five bucks and a gallon of milk is four bucks, independents aren't going to believe the spin. They're not going to believe the Ron Klain retweets. And independents decide elections. Yes. Well, it's also just the general disconnect between them and society in every single way. I think the best 
the best way um, story that summed this up was the Dollar Tree story. Uh, oh, a couple yeah. of weeks ago when Dollar Tree announced that they had to raise prices of certain things from a dollar to, I think, dollar fifty, things like that. And you had a ton of people on the left, most of them L.A., New York, San Francisco, m- never been to a Dollar Tree in their life, mocking it. It's like, oh, what's the big deal, a dollar to between a dollar fifty? Well, not only is that a 50% increase, but if you are living on the margins of your budget, like a lot of Americans do, that's a huge deal. Yeah. And a lot of people really live on the edge. I mean, the left love to talk about poverty. They love to talk about people living paycheck to paycheck, but they don't truly understand what that means. And what that means is that you don't have a lot of leeway. You don't have the tens of thousands of dollars of income a year leeway, where if something is a couple of thousand dollars more, you can, it just takes a bite out of your expendable income. There is a complete disconnect. And the fact that the left claim to have a monopoly on things like empathy, things like compassion, they care about the poor. This is shown that they do not. Because yes. inflation is one of the worst things for a poor person that can exist beyond being physically ill, because it squeezes you out of being comfortable or at least surviving into not surviving in a very, very short amount of time. Like your money in your pocket is physically worth less. And the fact that Biden is overseeing this when he claimed to run as a moderate, I think, is disgusting. And I'm glad that people are waking up to it, because if they didn't see it with this, I didn't have much hope for the country, honestly. Yeah, and and the corporate press, their their reaction to all of this. I mean, they're obviously being deputized by the White House, by the regime, um, to spin away things like inflation. Mm-hmm. And the, the media's dedication to this regime is astounding to me. I mean, they've turned to—it's kind of the only option they have left, but they've turned to openly mocking Americans who are struggling to defend yes. the government. right? Like Bloomberg published a piece yesterday saying that it's a good thing that Americans can't afford goods— it's a good thing because we should be more like Europe, where, where shortages <laughs> are common. I mean, it's like these people, these these rich elites mocking families that can't afford food. It's like, man, I, they they hate the American people. Like these people, the yes. elites, they hate the American people more than you've ever hated anything. And the fact that they've report they've resorted to blaming the voters. I mean, that's that's a do they not remember that that was probably the reason why Hillary Clinton never became president was the basket of deplorables mocking Trump voters. I mean, they've, they've turned to, they're writing pieces. Why are, why are these vote? Why do these voters keep disappointing Joe Biden? Right? It's the <laughs> voters fault. It's the voters fault. It's like, my gosh, do these people hear themselves? I don't think they hear themselves. Cause I don't think they live among anyone who's ever told them different. I think they live in a bubble where they truly don't understand just not even the average person. They don't understand anyone who is not exactly like them. It's like Obama pontificating about climate change while living on a coast in a multi-million dollar mansion. They they do not see what a walking lump of hypocrisy they are. And I think what I find most disappointing is not necessarily the mockery from politicians. It's mockery from the media. Because in in previous times, the idea of a journalist would have been someone who came from potentially a a more modest background. They weren't a lot of Ivy, Ivy League elites. There were people who knew what the real world was like and tried to uncover what was wrong in the real world. And now we have endless people in the media just mocking the fact that people can't afford things. Like Brian Stelter the other day posted an image of a bunch of uh, shelves full of milk. And he was like, oh, the supply chain crisis, she exclaimed. So, are, are you kidding me? So, yes, you can go into any store and find a shelf full of something. That doesn't mean the supply chain crisis isn't happening because half the things in the stores are missing. It doesn't matter where you go in the country. I've been all over the country in the last couple of weeks. Every single supermarket I go into has multiple shelves empty. Like the supply chain crisis is real. Things are more expensive. People 
are being priced out of being able to live the kind of lifestyle that they deserve as Americans living in what should be a free economy. And the fact that people in the media are mocking them shows just how deplorable the media is. I mean, you and I both know this already, but I hope a lot of people realize that they do not care for a second about the no. average person. No, I mean, it, it, they've proven that they're completely devoid. And they, they love the word. They all, all, the, all the Democrats love the word empathy. I mean, these people have proved that they're devoid of empathy. And their obedience, I mean, the, the media's obedience to the Democratic Party rivals Chinese, communist China's state media, man. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, it's incredible. And in, in the early days of the Biden presidency, obviously they did what the Democrats always do. The Democrats and the press always do is just blame Trump, blame the last Republican. Um, but everything fell apart so quickly um, as a direct result of Joe Biden's policies that didn't work. Like once, once we got at least into the summer, June, July, it was clear to the corporate press that that line wasn't going to work. It's like, okay. There were no food shortages under Trump, and now mm -hmm. there are. You know, like there weren't thousands of Americans being held hostage by barbarians under Trump. Now there are. So, like the the Trump slander just wasn't going to work. But like in the, the quickness, they made that shift into blaming Trump, into blaming Americans, blaming voters. They yep. they turned on a dime, and man, it's it, they were so willing to do it. They were so willing to do anything the regime asked them to do, and it just proves what kind of monsters these people are. Like, I, I, I cannot, like, that's why I call them the corporate press, is I will not call them the mainstream media because there's nothing mainstream or normal. Like, we can't normalize these people by calling them mainstream. I mean, these are absolute degenerates. Yeah. The, the, the willingness they had to just turn on, I mean, their, their own audience, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Joe Biden calls up CNN, blame someone, CNN. Okay, uh, shoot, Trump isn't <laughs> in office anymore. Fine, fine, we'll blame our own audience. It's your fault for drinking too much milk. Remember, they they mocked the family for going through too much milk. Oh, they should just drink mm -hmm. less milk. Really? You're, you're gonna blame a foster family for drinking too much milk? And they they say it with a straight face. I mean, they they do yep. not care. They'll do anything, anything, to protect this regime. They'll do anything. They'll just, man. I mean, I, I yeah. Integrity's been gone from corporate media for for decades and decades. So it's not like they have any of that to lose. But whatever shreds of dignity they had left they're willing to get rid of over over Joe Biden. You know, that's that's the thing, man. I tweeted something about this earlier. Like, worshipping politicians is evil, obviously. But imagine worshipping and defending politicians as un, unimpressive as these. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. These are like the least impressive batch of Democrats I've ever seen. And corporate media is, they, they don't, I mean, they'll defend any Democrat for any reason. It's astounding. What I'm hoping people learn from this is the idea that you're never safe from a bully if you elect bullies. There's been a, a strange ideology in, in the last, I'd say, 10 years or so, where if you side with the bully, which is the, as you say, corporate press, the Democratic Party, the people who sneer at the people who disagree with them, you're not safe. You might be safe temporarily, but they'll eventually come for you because they have a, a way of thinking that you have to keep consuming those who disagree with you. So yes, you might be safe when it's the basket of deplorables on the other side or the bunch of MAGA hat wearing people who are driven purely by hate. You might be safe. But now you're not safe because the media and the Democratic Party elite are destroying the country in every single way possible and they have to find the next person to blame. And guess who's the next person to blame? It's going to be the moderate and the independent people who aren't 
on board with the progressive madness that Biden, for some reason, is pushing. They inevitably consume uh, consume their own. And you've got to realize that you can't side with a bully. You've got to push for freedom. You've got to push for liberty. You've got to stand up against lies, even if those lies are beneficial to you in the short term, because this is the result. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, looking at obviously a lot of things can happen in the next almost a year um, before the midterms. Um, from where I'm sitting, and I'm going to piss off 90% of my audience right now, as I have been doing regularly, <laughs> but I think it's important for us to keep mentioning this. I think the only way in the midterms that the GOP can fumble the ball um, is by making everything about Trump. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I live in Ohio, so I'm seeing there's a, a Senator Rob Portman um, uh, is retiring at the end of his term, which ends next year. He's not running for re-election. So there's an open primary, and it's going to come down to two candidates, former uh, Ohio Attorney General Josh Mandel and uh, the writer um, J.D. Vance. And the ads are absolute—they're the dumbest ads I've ever seen. And you see them all the time. I was watching the Steelers game. I saw ad after ad for the— the I mean, man, we're we're still a year out. I mean, the primary isn't the primary is until isn't until May. You know, it's crazy that they're dumping this much money into it. But I mean, Josh Mandel's ads, and he was like a, a moderate, conservative, young kind of up and coming politician. Um, and he was at, he ran for Senate before, and was about to beat Sherrod Brown. He was up about five points and had to pull out because his wife got sick, and they ended up going through a divorce and all this, and so he was out of the spotlight for a couple years. But he was never this like Trump, you know, Trump guy, loud, obnoxious kind of guy. He's kind of he's like a he's a combat veteran. He's Jewish. He's like a, a, a fiscal conservative kind of guy. That's who he was. And now he's like this super populist Trump sycophant. And it's bizarre because he just changed his entire personality <laughs> in preparation for this run for the Senate. And all his ads against J.D. Vance are just how he doesn't like Trump enough or whatever. And it's like it's it's like guys, what what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Like I, what like what what are we doing? Like are, are we really going to fumble the ball in the 1-yard line and give the Democrats a Senate seat in Ohio, a state that went to Trump by 10 points because we're just fighting over who loves Trump the most or whatever. It's like why what just talk about the issues, talk about the horrible economy, run against the Democrats, don't run against each other. And it's so bizarre, man, seeing these Ohio Republicans just nut-hugging the former president. It's like, look, I voted for Trump twice. I'm not anti-Trump by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like, dude, there's there's other people in this world other than Donald Trump. Why are you making your entire campaign? So it's like both campaigns. Mandel's campaign is like, J.D. Vance doesn't love Trump enough, and then like J.D. Vance's campaign is like, oh, no, I, I do really like Trump. <laughs> it's like, stop. I don't care. Who yep. cares about Trump? I don't care about Trump. I care about you. How about you make the case? I I'm, I will be voting in the Ohio Senate Senate primary. Convince me. Like, why should I vote for either of you? And they're both making it about Trump. And I think that's the only way that that the GOP could fumble the ball here, man. I mean, they're up ten points in the generic ballot. I think only one man is unpopular enough yeah. to bring the GOP down, and that is Trump. And I think, and not that. I mean, Trump did a lot of good things in office, and Republicans should talk about that. But I think making it all about Trump is going to alienate those women voters, the minority voters, and it's going to take us right back to where we were a year ago instead of moving forward. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think it's 
it's the lack of introspection that comes with losing that I think is going to keep us losing. Because when you lose, you've got to, yeah, you can make excuses of why you lost, but ultimately you, you were the reason you lose. Most, most cases. Glenn Youngkin showed us how we can win in the world post-Trump because he focused on the high-level culture war, which is very important to moderate and independent voters without getting into the, the weeds of culture, like rather than focusing on what Cardi B or Travis Scott did, it's here, hey, right. look what's happening in education. Like This right. is the garbage your kids are being taught. And he didn't hug Trump, but he didn't alienate Trump, uh, Trump voters. That is how we could win, honestly, almost every state if we ran on that platform, because the left have lost their mind. Most people aren't on board with it. This, this election coming up in 2022 and 2024 and beyond is ours for the taking. People need to realize that the left's hatred for Trump and the moderates' hatred for Trump really beats everything else. That's the reason they elected a dead man in Joe Biden. It wasn't because Joe Biden was competent at anything or was even saying anything vaguely intelligent. It's because people hate Trump. And the people who love Trump need to realize that other people don't think the way they do. And it's this lack of understanding that not everyone thinks this way. Do you want to win or do you want to be right in that Trump is your guy? Because, yeah, you might be able to win the primary with Trump. Trump is not going to win again if he runs again because he has not changed. And no. it's, t it's terrifying to me that we might piss this away, honestly. And I, I understand. I'm sympathetic to the people that want Trump to run again and are just pissed off that, you know, the corporate media lied about Trump and people bought into the lies. And that's why they didn't vote for him. I, I get that. And they did lie. I mean, mm -hmm. Trump didn't do any of yep. the things that corporate media accused him of. I totally agree. I agree that he deserved a second term. But the media won that round. They destroyed him. Yes. The, the press beat Trump. They took him down. They destroyed the man. They beat him. And they convinced enough weak-minded, gullible Americans of all of their lies that Trump can't win. They won. I mean, like, th that sucks. It sucks that we have a Democratic president and administration destroying the economy because of the media's lies. That sucks. But it happened. So, what, like, what? I, I wish a lot of things were different. I wish reality was different, man. I, I, I truly do. I wish that the, the media's lies didn't work, but they did. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, so we're, what are we doing? They're talking about going back in time, changing history? I mean, I, I don't, like, it, it's like we're just denying reality if you think that we yep. can overcome that. You know what I mean? And, but, and I understand, and then if they were here talking to me right now, a lot of our mutual friends are on the other side of this debate, as we are, Ian, as you know, um, but but it's like well they'll they'll do the same thing to other Republicans. Okay, we fight them on that battlefield, but like the Trump battle has been fought and lost. Like we lost, mm -hmm. like we failed at convincing people that the the press lies. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to tell these people. I'm like, I you're in for a lot a world of hurt if you make all of this about Trump. I'm not even talking about Trump running again in 2024. I, I'm just talking about the midterms. It just we can't fall into this Josh Mendel trap of making your entire campaign about Donald Trump. It might work in Ohio. You know what I mean? Trump is still popular in Ohio. He won the state by nine and a half points. It's not going to work in Michigan. It's not going to work in Wisconsin. It's not going to work in Georgia. It's just not going to. So I don't know. These these candidates need to really examine how they're running their their campaigns, man. Trump was a moment in time. He didn't change the political landscape forever. He changed it for a moment in time.
Well, also, Trump lost because of Trump in many ways. Like, I, I agree completely that the media played an overwhelming part in misrepresenting what Trump was, what Trump was doing, what Trump said. But a lot of what happened towards the end of his presidency was Trump's fault. Trump has no discipline and he doesn't know when to swing and when to hold back and when to let the left hang themselves with their own rope. And he has not changed. He's that's who he is. People don't change after that that long. Yeah, we need someone old, who has. So. I mean, we, we've said this how many times of just like Ron DeSantis, for example, is not the same candidate as Donald Trump. So, no. yes, the left will lie in the same way. But we need someone who can build on what Trump did rather than try and replicate it, because Trump lost us the Senate, for goodness sake. That yeah. was Trump's fault. One hundred percent. The media had nothing to do with it. It was tr Trump encouraging people in Georgia not to vote. And we need to move on from that pretty quick. Otherwise, losing the Senate is going to be the least of our worries. Yeah. And so and just well, there, understanding there's another... that Trump was to blame, too. There's another a point that I need people to get through their heads, and that is that Trump had a good first few years and a bad last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he did not rise to the occasion. He did not rise to the occasion of the moment that he was in. He went along with the left's COVID propaganda. He allowed the country to be shut down. He allowed Anthony Fauci to hijack his presidency for a year. He, mm -hmm. he, he deferred to Anthony. He made Anthony Fauci the president of the United States the last nine or ten months of his presidency. He let Fauci destroy the country. He let Fauci destroy... He, he could have fired Anthony Fauci. I mean, it, it, he presided over how many days of the 15 days to slow the spread? At least, what, 250? <laughs> Trump yeah. was president for probably 250 of those days to slow the spread. That's 250 opportunities to wake up in the morning and fire that man. That wicked little gremlin. Trump didn't do it because he didn't have the balls. He didn't have the courage to do it. I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forget that. He 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 pushed for a multi-trillion dollar COVID relief relief package that took people out of the workforce and printed a bunch of money and kick-started inflation. That was mm -hmm. Trump. Yes, Biden made it much much worse. Biden spent a lot more money than Trump and Biden is worse in every way. Yes, I understand that. But Trump started it. Okay? He did not it's not like he rose to the occasion during COVID. We need somebody better. Because well, when, we this, someone... when, when this happens again, we need somebody with the courage to fire the next Anthony Fauci, right? And Trump didn't, he didn't have the balls to do it, you know? So it's like, we can't, if we're being honest, we cannot give Trump a pass for that. Well, we need someone who did rise to the occasion, which is Ron DeSantis. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's very, very simple answer here is that if we look at, there is a Republican who is the epitome of what a Republican president should have done throughout COVID because he did it in Florida already. He did it. So yep. we have all the pieces. We just need to put them in the right order. Couldn't agree more. Ian, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. Where can everybody uh, read your stuff and uh, check out your show and follow you online and all that good stuff? Yeah, thank you as always for having me. You can find me on the Daily Wire website, uh, make videos and write articles over there, or you can find me all social media, I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. -H. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, man. Everybody follow Ian. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Uh -huh.